Well, I know what I'm doing here. I'm filling in for Pastor Travis, right? I'm uh, hopefully bringing you the Word of God, but what are you doing here this morning? What brought you here? What are you hoping will happen this morning, really? You know, there are some people here, mostly in the other building probably, who are busy serving. They're doing what they can to um, make a difference. There are people in the back doing that. There are people um, here who just are in the habit of doing it every week, and that's kind of all there is. There are people here who may be hungry to hear from the Lord or broken and needing something to pull them out. But the reality is that every Sunday, in fact, it has to happen every Sunday, doesn't it? We, the church of Jesus Christ, gathers together to hear again the word of the Lord. We gather again every week to hear about the person of Jesus. Because one of the things that is the disease of all the ages, really, is that we underestimate who Jesus is. And we underestimate what Jesus has accomplished. And I think if we were not to be reminded time after time after time, week after week after week, every time we open our Bibles, that there is something unusual about the person of Jesus, we would then find ourselves uh, really awash in bad ideas, and it will be easy for us to miss the point of our religion. And so I want to invite you this morning to hear again from Jesus in, uh, and hear about Jesus from Matthew uh, chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went out and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, Others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road, and the crowd that went before him and the crowd that followed him were shouting, Hosannas to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, 
of Galilee. Who is this? This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. And it's interesting about that answer because really they get to the question. They get to the point, the one that I brought up at the very beginning, we must figure out who Jesus is. They felt that. They thought that. So they asked the question, who is Jesus? And they said he's the prophet. And they're partially right. Jesus is the promised prophet and the Savior and the King. But it's easy to be only half right about Jesus. Or let me say it another way. You can be partially right about who Jesus is and then still completely wrong. Well, none of us probably completely figure Jesus out. That is really the great quest of what it means to be a Christian or a disciple. Is this week after week, day after day, you are trying to figure out more clearly, more completely, and more and, uh, who Jesus is so that you can be more completely sold out to Him. But the tragedy here is that you can be partly right about who Jesus is and still be completely wrong at the same time. Now we have uh, an introduction here that, um, in verse 1 that, that gives, sets the scene and gives us the picture. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Okay, that's the scene. So you're to see... One of the things that's happened throughout the book of Matthew, in chapter 16, Jesus told us, or He told His disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem. And when we get there, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they'll condemn Him to death and deliver Him to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and He'll be raised on the third day. And so that was... Um, that's what happened in Matthew 16, again in 17, again in chapter 20. Jesus has been saying, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and they're going to, they're going to arrest me and uh, beat me and kill me, and I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are like, whatever. We like hanging out with you. That's about it. Yet, we are at the turning point of the gospel right here, because this journey from Galilee down south around to Jericho and then up uh, the hill to Jerusalem is now finishing. And so whatever's happening now, Jesus is arriving at the destination that He has been telling us about uh, for uh, a majority, really, of this book. And it's tempting to say that Jesus is completing now the journey that he began to mark out in, in chapter 16, but the reality is he's completing the journey that was marked out before the beginning of time. And we've seen Jesus presented to us in the book of Matthew as a king, the king that you must come to grips with, you must figure out Jesus, and then you must submit to him as your king. 
And we saw the king teach on the Sermon on the Mount, and then we saw the king do the work of the kingdom by healing people and feeding 5,000 and calming the sea and doing all the things. He's shown us what the kingdom is like. He's taught us what the characteristics of the kingdom are, but in Jerusalem now, he's going to show us what the king is like. He's going to show us who the king is. And so Matthew brings us here into Jerusalem, and one of the things that Matthew has been doing as he's telling the story of Jesus is reminding us really from the first verse of the first uh, chapter, the Christmas story even, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has been promising in the Old Testament. And so over and over and over, Matthew says, so that it might be fulfilled what was said in the prophets. And Matthew is showing us the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That all of the entire book of the Bible that they had at the time and all of the first half of our Bibles points to Jesus. And so here with this uh, completion of the trip to Jerusalem, Matthew tells us this story again and again he uses multiple allusions and quotations from the Old Testament to say this Jesus that you are here this morning to worship is the fulfillment of all that God is doing in the world. All the promises of the Old Testament find their yes in him. And so they drew near the Mount of Olives. They were coming from the east and going into Jerusalem and... um, when they got to this town of Bethphage, Jesus sent the two disciples. He pointed probably across the hill, likely to Bethany, and said, Go into this village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her, and untie them and bring them to me. And he gives them really detailed instructions here. In fact, detailed enough that you look at it and you think, Hmm, did he, did he arrange this? like ahead of time or is he like God saying there's a donkey over here and you're going to go find him and somebody is going to ask you and then when you, they ask you you tell them this and it's going to be good it really invites us to ask that question but I think what has happened is that Jesus sent these uh, two disciples ahead to rent a car basically and uh, I think he prearranged this, probably put it on his card, and um, maybe got points, I don't know, because he got two donkeys, so maybe he got extra points for two donkeys. But he prearranged this meeting and included the password, okay? When they ask you, you tell them the Lord has need of it. And so I think he went ahead of them, made arrangements, and um, they were to go find uh, a donkey and the foal of a donkey, and bring them both to Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you're like thinking too, why would he get two donkeys? You can only ride one. So what's the point of having two of them? In fact, Matthew is the only one that really relays that there are two animals. And I think that what's happening here is that Matthew is telling us what he's doing. He is giving us Uh, his intention as he tells us about um, this triumphal entry. 
And he said, there's two animals, and, and that's his clue, that he is talking about fulfillment. He is talking about the Old Testament that points to Jesus. Specifically, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now, probably none of us have Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 on the top of our tongue, so it's not really going to help us, but let me read it to you because you'll recognize here what's happening. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, even as I read that, I'm thinking it, it probably doesn't need to. I mean, I'm not sure if there's one donkey or two donkeys here in Zechariah. But Matthew, Matthew, as he retells this, he wants to make sure that we understand. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not just hitching a ride to Jerusalem. Think about it. He's already walked all the way from Galilee, all the way down to Jericho, all the way up the hill. And it's really under the last few hundred yards... I mean, is he just so tired that he's the only one there that's so tired that he needs a donkey ride up the hill? Probably not. There is, in fact, not just probably not, there is absolutely no chance that Jesus is riding on a donkey because he couldn't really finish the journey. He's riding on a donkey, and he, wants, he, he wanted everyone there to know. Matthew wants to make sure that we don't miss it, that this donkey and the colt are the signal that Jesus is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. That Jesus is this King coming to you, righteous and having salvation, and humble, mounted on a donkey. In other words, He's doing everything He can that we might get a better uh, understanding of who Jesus is. Now, think about this for a moment. If Jesus didn't have to get the ride, if Jesus could have walked himself, why did he go for the donkey? And I don't think there's really any chance that this trip on the donkey was anything else than Jesus saying, I am your king. I am bringing salvation. I am righteous. I am humble. He's, he's really embodying everything that Zechariah 9, 9 says. You can think of it this way. Jesus was putting on a drama. Jesus was doing show and tell. Jesus, Jesus was uh, creating uh, in real life, or, or maybe recreating, this Old Testament parable. This Old Testament story about the king. And the interesting thing about this Old Testament narrative about the king, the, the, the chief thing to notice 
is number one, that he's a king. Number two, that he's humble. So you're noticing two things that normally don't go together. In fact, nobody expected that the king would be humble. And I want you to consider his humility for a moment. In fact, I I want you to, to imitate him in his humility even. But what do you think about when you think of humility? You probably think of somebody who's like, oh, you know, you know, don't bother with me. And they're nervous or they're shy or they're withdrawn or they're somehow insecure and so they must be humble. But you look at this, I mean, the, the very description of what Jesus is doing says that he's humble. And he is completely sure of himself. He is absolutely confident in what he is doing, and he's humble at the same time. So when you hear the Scripture encourage you to be humble, God gives, uh, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, he's not saying, oh, you need to be just so afraid of everything and so quiet and so withdrawn. He's saying, no, you can be as confident in what you are doing in your purpose in life and where you are going and still be humble. That's what's happening here with Jesus. Jesus is making very clear who he is and what he is doing. This whole thing begins to to wind up, doesn't it? And you can see it wind wind up as he just says, well, there's there's the donkey over here, and you can send two of them, two of the disciples over there, and there's just a couple people know about this. They bring him back. They put their coats on him. Put the, some people put their coats on the road. And he rides to Jerusalem on a donkey. <clears throat> He's a king on a donkey. They, this is not what people thought would happen with the Messiah. Again, most people were partially right about who Jesus was. He's the Messiah. He's supposed to... Um, He's supposed to be a savior, a deliverer. He's the Messiah. We're partly right about that, and they're partly right about that here. But Jesus is riding on a donkey instead of a white horse so that he subverts their expectations about what kind of king he's actually going to be. They're thinking he's going to be a conquering king on a white horse, and he's saying, no, I'm a suffering king on a donkey. He's not the deliverer from Rome. He's the deliverer from sin. And Jesus saves then as a humble king, not as a political victor. And the story that they were telling themselves about who Jesus is was only partially right. Yes, he's a king. But the story they were telling themselves is the one that probably you will tell yourself next November. We need a political savior. I'm just going to say, no, you don't. Not if you have Jesus. You can completely relax about that. Because Jesus, the way of Jesus' kingdom is very different than the way of the earthly kingdoms. You need a humble savior king on a donkey. Way more than you need 
a political victor on a white horse. Well, that's, I'm getting wound up now too, aren't I? Sorry. You look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 then uh, show the, the expansion of this to the crowd. Because most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others got palm branches. Why, why we talk about this text as Palm Sunday. Um, because they spread the palm branches out and the donkey rode on them. Um, and the crowds went before and followed him. So this is a big crowd. This is a, this is a, some of the crowd had been following him maybe from Galilee. Some of them, at least two blind men, had been following him for a day. They just just received their sight yesterday, and now they're part of this crowd. And as he continues, they begin to shout, Hosanna to the Son of David, verse 9. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And if you were here last week, you'll recall that the title Son of David appeared in the text last week. It it came from the mouth of the blind men. They said, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And they saw, when they were still blind, they saw Jesus more clearly than any of the people around did. And they called him the son of David, meaning they understood him to be the inheritor of all of God's promises to David so that he was the Messiah King. That's what they saw. That's what arrested Jesus' attention. He stopped and he healed them and they could see. Yet now they're in this long procession with this king riding on a donkey And they are ascribing then this messianic title, Son of David, again to Jesus. And yet as I can see what's happening here, and as you can imagine what's, what's happening on this trip, the Son of David is not used in the same way that it was last week. Last week it was this messianic title of these blind men pleading for mercy from Jesus. Here, Son of David, now they're using it Two, as a messianic title for a conquering king who would ride into Jerusalem and rescue them from Rome. They're seeing the son of David now, not purely in messianic terms, but in the terms of a political deliverer. And it has been uh, a political term. In fact, uh, Jesus is the son of David. And this donkey scene is reminiscent of his ancestor, David. But I want to remind you of when David rode on the donkey. David was brought some donkeys for him and his family to ride out of Jerusalem on. When his son Absalom... uh, overthrew him and moved into Jerusalem and became the, you might say, interim king. And so as Absalom created this coup, David fled for his life in Jerusalem on a donkey. Now that's not here, neither here nor there. It's not really what this text is about. 
But this son of David, just to, just to be really clear about what, how Jesus sees what he's doing here, this son of David was riding on a donkey, reenacting some of the things from his father, David. But of all the things you could pick about the life of David, this would be the last one you'd pick. This would be absolutely the lowest point of David's life, the most humble moment in the life of King David is reenacted here by Jesus riding on a donkey. So Jesus is going in, David is coming out. In other words, Jesus is really clear. My kingdom is not of this world and it is not like you are used to seeing kingdoms operate. I, as a king, am different. I am humble as opposed to the kind of king you're looking for. Anyway, he's riding on the donkey into Jerusalem. They're saying, Hosanna, the son of David. Now, then they quote Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And they say, save us, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so here, the crowd, as they reenact this this moment where Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to really uh, establish his kingdom, they rehearse Psalm 118. And you'll notice, though, that Psalm 118 says, Save us, we pray. When they shout it that Sunday, they're shouting, um, Hosanna. They're shouting Hosanna because Hosanna uh, is Aramaic for save us. And so they're shouting the same thing. And again, I I just can't probably say this enough, they are partly right about Jesus. They recognize there's something unusual. He's a prophet. He's a king. But they're looking for something different. Because they're shouting Hosanna not as a church phrase, not as a religious phrase, so much as a political phrase. We are looking for deliverance from Rome. And so this procession goes to Jerusalem and the people in the procession are expecting something different from the king of the procession than the king himself is expecting. And they're on their way to Jerusalem and the whole thing, I, I can't say this probably clearly enough, the whole thing has been staged so that it has this effect on the crowd, and on the city of Jerusalem itself. Look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? So he rides into Jerusalem, probably between the gates. He rides into Jerusalem, and the whole city was stirred up. Now, I don't know what your picture of stirred up is. Like, that's very descriptive. But the... Uh, the Greek word for stirred up is, is seismic. 
This was a seismic event uh, for Jerusalem. I suppose, I suppose you could think of a Taylor Swift concert in Seattle that caused a tremor that showed up on a seismograph. And if it was that kind of an event, that big of a deal, when Jesus rode, can, don't tell anyone that I said Jesus is a big deal with Taylor Swift. That's not the point of this <laughs> message. Please don't say that. But anyway, it's that kind of thing. <clears throat> and it causes them to say, what is happening here with this parade? What is going on? And why is it happening? And so the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. It's likely that the crowd that was before him got there first. Maybe it's part of those crowd. Maybe it's part of the people in the city asking the questions. They're doing their best to say, who is this? They have to answer the question, who is this? And they're saying, it's the prophet. The whole city shook because this donkey ride had done its job. It forced the question that all of us need to answer, and that is, who is Jesus? Who is this? Their answer is, he's a prophet. Now, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's really an interesting answer. Who is Jesus? He's a prophet. Because probably if you were to ask around to uh, people and say, uh, who, who may not have much context, religious context, who is Jesus, they probably, most of them would say he's a good teacher, um, which is a stand-in for a prophet. He is, he is a moral teacher. He, he, he's wise. He, whatever. He's historical. All those things, that's what they're saying. He's a prophet. A prophet is different than a king. In other words, they're partly right. They're partly right. Jesus admitted to being a prophet, actually. That's how I know they're partly right. Matthew 13, um, when his hometown didn't like him, Jesus said uh, to them, A prophet is not without honor, except is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And so Jesus was really clear that he was a prophet, and that's why his hometown didn't receive him. But this, too, was a common explanation for why all the hubbub about Jesus from Nazareth. Um, back in Matthew 16, when Jesus began this journey, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, there's something about him, we're not sure what, and it sounds like a prophet. And they're partially right. But they're only partially right because Jesus, even in this parade, is making it abundantly clear that he is not just a prophet, but he's the humble king. He is the son of David, the legitimate heir to David's throne. He is promised from the Old Testament, really from what page 2 of the Old Testament all the way through points to Jesus. And He's coming with salvation. 
He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to save his people from their sin. The people think he's going to save them from Rome. That's a big divergence in what you expect Jesus to do for you. Jesus set up this ride so that he could communicate to us who he truly is. And there's probably nothing more important for you this morning than to be really clear about who Jesus is so that you might be on the same page with him about what he's trying to accomplish in your life and in the world. I think this is one of the dangers of being a religious person is that you get close enough to Jesus to have a vague idea. You hang around a church enough that you're sort of sure about what Jesus is here to do. You might even have an idea about what he should do for you. But it's a tragedy, really, to be partially right about Jesus. Because if I was to fast forward for seven days from here, you know what happened, right? If you know our calendar, there's Palm Sunday. What happened seven days later? Well, Easter happened seven days later. I guess fast forward, what, four days, five days to Good Friday. These are the people that were partially right about Jesus who crucified him. These are the people that had some information but didn't really care enough to get on the same page with Jesus. That's a tragedy. And I would just say that you can be partially right about Jesus when you worship Him on Sunday but you look for a political Savior on a Tuesday in November. You can be partially right about Jesus when you think he's a good teacher, but it's optional to do what he says. You can be partially right about Jesus when he's good enough to acknowledge uh, by coming to church on Sunday, but not worth talking about the rest of the week. You can be partially right about Jesus when you claim that he is a king but he doesn't compel you to love people who are different than you. You can be partially right about Jesus when you find him interesting, but not as interesting as a Dr. Beaver game. And so my hope for you this morning is not that you'll just be partially right, but that you'll be willing to commit your life to being as right as you can be about who Jesus is and what He's doing in this world and doing for you. And so if you've not really ever submitted yourself to King Jesus as He truly is, this morning can be your morning. Just as this crowd was shouting kind of all the right words, really, That's great, but 
sometime, somewhere, there needs to be a reckoning about who Jesus really is. That he went to Jerusalem, as you know, just like he said, to be uh, arrested and tried and beaten and humiliated and crucified and buried, only to be resurrected. So that all of history might know for sure that Jesus is not merely a prophet. He's not merely a political king. But he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I would say to you this morning, your king comes to you full of salvation, humble and riding on a donkey. So if you never submitted yourself to him, this morning would be a great morning. Great morning to do that. But it's probably just as likely as that you've come part way. You've come part way to go along with him on the parade, shouting what you hope to be true about him that may or may not be what he intends to do. You have a partial opinion about Jesus. You're partially right. And so if that's the case this morning, I, I hope that what happens this morning is that you commit yourself once again to day after day and week after week getting on the same page as Jesus. Making your life about what His life is about. If He's the King of the kingdom, submitting to Him and being part of His kingdom and living as part of His kingdom in this world. That's really what the challenge of this text is. Is not to be the man or the woman that um, says the right things but means the wrong things by them. Don't be partially right about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to um, just encounter Jesus in a, uh, in a way that causes us to love and respect Him. Father, would you um, forgive us for being satisfied with being partly right? As we read about Jesus, as we think about, and not just this trip to Jerusalem, but what He did there by dying on a cross and rising again. Father, would you capture our hearts and our imaginations? Would you convince our minds? And would you let us throw in with Jesus and be completely His, I pray. And I pray this in His name because He died on the cross and rose again for us. Amen.